so at one church where I was uh, pastor, it was revival time. And uh, we were making our plans for this revival. And you know, when you, when you do anything, you've got to have a theme. You know, it's important to have a theme, to have a motto, to have a reason you're going to do something. you really got to have a you got to have something that's really a grabber kind of thing, you know, that grabs people by the eyes. And we were all working around themes for this revival that we were going to have. And, of course, being the theologically astute, very highly educated individual that I am, I came up with the perfect theme. And when the committee heard it, their eyes all rolled around in their heads, realizing that they had been in the presence of, of, of greatness and that they had to accept this as what it was supposed to be. The theme was... Ain't God good? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Ain't God good? I knew you'd be impressed, and, and unfortunately, I can't take full credit for it because the full credit belongs to a gentleman by the name of Jerry Clower. I've mentioned him to you before. Uh, Jerry died in 1998, but Jerry was probably one of the funniest men that ever lived. He traveled around the place telling stories about uh, Yazoo City, Mississippi, he told a story about playing football against Alabama. He was a walk-on from Mississippi State, uh, had never played football, he said, ever in his life, but decided that the way he was going to pay for his college was to get a football scholarship. So he walked on, and sure enough, the first game that they played, he was a starter. So I guess he had a little something. Alabama taught him he didn't have much, though. Uh, he went around telling all these stories, and everybody talked about Jerry uh, in the highest terms because he lived what he talked about. He lived what he preached. His life exuded godliness. And when he passed away, there were just article after article in Christian papers and, and other papers around the world talking about this man that had died and what a good Christian principled man that he was. Which is why when Jerry's son had a car accident, Jerry looked at that as a test. He looked at it as a test. His son was driving on the Mississippi backwards country road. He lost control of the car. Car turned over. His son was seriously hurt. Jerry got a phone call. They said, Jerry, your son's been hurt really bad. You need to get down here. And so Jerry took off to get down there. As he's going, he tells, he tells this story now in, in, in his book called Ain't God Good. And in this book, Jerry relates how he'd been encouraging people all of his life and exhorting people all of his life and motivating people all of his life to realize the goodness of God and that when bad things happened, God was still in control. And he said he wore Romans 8.28 out. Quote it from memory, but I can't do it from the English standard. The English standard says that we know that for those who love God, all things, good, bad, and different, all things work together for good for those, who are, uh, for those who are called according to God's purpose. All things work for good. Even the bad things Jerry had said. And he had preached it, he had preached it, he had preached it, and now the rubber was meeting the road. What he had preached just took a giant leap from being theory and words that he spoke to people to being a reality in his own life. He knew that his son was hurt bad. He didn't know how badly his son was hurt. So as he's driving down the road, he prayed two prayers. He prayed, number one, Lord, let my son live. And he prayed, number two, Lord, even if he dies, I'll praise you. 
sort of echoes Job, when Job had his fists up in the air, yelling at God, angry at God for everything that had happened in his life. Job, still in the middle of all that, looks up at God and he says, Though you slay me, still I will trust you. And that's what Jerry was saying. Jerry said that if what he preached was true, then he had to live it himself. He couldn't just say it to somebody else. He had to live it himself. And Jerry did just what God wants us to do. It's easy to say that God's always with you when things are going good. It's a little bit more of a challenge when things aren't going good. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 11. Really, that whole chapter of John, verses, uh, John chapter 9 deals with all this. It would be good for you to read it when you get an opportunity this week. You know, like tonight, you're the suit for Paul. <coughs> you won't like any of those commercials. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 11 says, And as he passed by, he being Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud, and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sin. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it's he. And others said, no, it just looks like him. No, but he is like him. And he kept saying, I'm the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. As he passed by, verse 1 says, as he passed by. Jesus was going nowhere in particular. You look at the scripture. doesn't say where he was headed right that minute. Really where he was coming from. He was just walking down the road. It was a day like any other day. Walked outside. A few clouds in the sky. By the middle of the day, those clouds would be gone. Just another sunshiny, warm day in the middle, of, middle east. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. You don't have to go anywhere special to see people hurting. You don't have to go anyplace special to see people suffering. It's all around us. All we have to do is open our eyes. Make a lot of hospital visits. And it, it amazes me when I walk into the hospital and walk out of the hospital looking at the people that are coming towards me both directions and see what's in their eyes and see how they're acting and see the things that are going on and knowing the people that they're going to see that are suffering. If you're alive, hardship surrounds you. It's a part of life. It's everywhere you turn. As he passed by, regularly when I'm leaving the church during the, during the day going somebody, I'll see this guy. There's a guy, he walks, he lives back behind the church here. He walks up through our parking lot, uh, takes the steps, get my bearings. The steps are over here, a few little steps that come up to the sidewalk and goes across. He's about my age. He's a lot skinnier than I am. <laughs> He's a lot skinnier than I am. He has a very pronounced limp, and it's not really just a limp, it's more of a drag. He takes a step, sort of drags that leg behind him a little bit as he goes. 
don't really notice them normally. I mean, I see them walking. I don't think anything about it. But on this particular day, I did think a lot about it because he was walking back down, and I'm assuming that that's his house that he's going to back there. And he's walking in that direction, and it was one of those days where the morning had started out warm, you know, so he had dressed for that warm weather. But in the middle of the day, the temperature had just fallen through the floor, so it was cold. And here he was walking back towards his house like this. No running, no fast. This is what he could do. And I thought to myself, I wonder how many times in his life that man has been caught. How many times in his life has that man been walking to the store when it started to rain and he wasn't expecting it? Or he was coming home from the store or wherever it is that he goes up in this direction and a thunderstorm blew up. Or he was walking home that day and the temperature fell through the floor and it was cold and he wasn't dressed for it. Hardship. You don't have to go looking for it. It's right there. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Life is life. We live in a fallen world. Things happen to people all the time. So what do we say when those things happen to somebody that we love, that we care about, when it's one of our own who is the target, one of our own who is the victim, one of our own who is the patient? It's very easy to quote scripture. Jerry Clower said he did it all the time. Romans 8, 28, he wore it out. And we hear the Apostle Paul and we preach Apostle Paul's words to people that says to be content in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Rejoice always, pray always, sing songs and praises. And we quote these things to people so very easily. But when the hardship is yours, can you stand on the same scripture that you're quoting to everybody else? Can you stand on that same scripture? My New Testament professor was Dr. Donald Cook at Southeastern. Sometimes I loved Dr. Cook and sometimes, well, sometimes I didn't. Sometimes I agreed with him and sometimes I didn't. But he told this story. He pastored several churches before he became a professor at Southeastern and he maintained a very strict policy concerning marriage. He would not perform the ceremony for anybody who had been divorced. He said it's a simple thing. If they made the vow till death do us part, and they used man's court to dissolve a vow that they had made before God, then when they're ready to get married again, they can go back to that court and let that court marry them. And he preached it, and he said it, and people went, wow, such a principled man, standing on the scripture. Yes, we love what you're saying, Pastor. Love to see a man that's guided by the word. But as he passed by, life sort of snuck up on him. See, he had a daughter. His daughter got married. And she married a guy that she thought was a wonderful guy, but once she got married, she found out that he wasn't quite as wonderful as, as she thought he was. And he started doing some things that weren't exactly right. And she fought to keep the marriage together, and she did all the things that you're supposed to do to keep that marriage together. And no matter what she did, it wouldn't stay. One day, he said he was gone, and he walked out the door. Dr. Cook watched his daughter. He watched her heartbreak. He said there was a time that his grown daughter came and sat in his lap like she did when she was a 10-year-old girl and buried her head in his neck and cried her heart out. And he cried right there with her. 
as he went by, as he passed by, she met another man. Uh-oh, we see where this story is going, don't we? She fell in love with this other man. Turned out to be a really good guy. They decided they wanted to get married. They went to Daddy and they said, Daddy, I want you to do the ceremony. And Dr. Cook told us that in that moment that he had never felt such conviction of his own sin. That he had taken something incredibly painful, incredibly complex, and he had shouted arrogant religious pieties at it. It wasn't until he experienced life as it passed by that he really understood that there are no easy answers. That it's very easy to look at somebody and say, God will provide, but when it's you that needs the provision, suddenly things seem different. Suddenly things are a little bit harder. Suddenly it makes a difference. When it is your turn to suffer, when it is your turn for hardship, and it will be your turn one day, Will what you have said to other people bring glory to God in your own life? As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Who sinned? That's a question to be asked. You know, Jesus, what went wrong here? People aren't supposed to be born blind. What did he or his parents do to cause this? See, their culture believed that good people prospered and bad people were punished. And that's just the way it had to work. But now we've got a curveball because you were born blind. And since you were born blind, you didn't really have time to do something wrong for this to happen. So it had to be your parents or it had to be somebody. Something had to happen. Who did this to him? There's got to be an explanation. It's a question we struggled with forever. Why do good things happen to people? And I don't say why do good things happen to why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to people? Why do these things happen? Who did this to him? It's a question as old as the ages. And it was a tough theological question that the rabbis of that day, all the preachers of that day, had to get together and they had to answer because the way they believed things were supposed to work, they had to have an answer. Somebody had to do something wrong if something bad was going to occur. It had to do that. So they scoured the scriptures and they found the story of Esau and Jacob in their mother's womb where they tussled with each other and the rabbis decided that what happened was in the womb Esau tried to kill Jacob. And therefore, that's the reason that Esau ended up losing his birthright and his privilege as the firstborn son because he had sinned in the womb is what they had come up with. They had to have an answer. They had to have an answer. That was, that was their idea. He had sealed his fate. This blind man had obviously, this blind man had obviously sinned in the womb, they would think. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You hear the question, right? Jesus, why did this bad thing happen to this man? People aren't supposed to be born blind. The people that I love aren't supposed to suffer this way. It's not supposed to happen. I've mentioned this lady to you guys before. This is one of those stories that I can close my eyes and see it to this very day. Her name was Linda Timberlake. 
She was at the church that I was pastoring. She was on fire to get busy. Her and her husband had done the career thing, and they just hadn't quite fulfilled, and they finally decided that they quit doing the, the career thing and just live their lives, and then they would start getting involved in other stuff, and they came to the church, and that's where it hit them. This is where we ought to be. And Linda had a history. She had a training in journalism and photography, and she was going to be our church publicist. And we were so excited. Just come, to, just come to Linda. Tell her what's going on at church. She'll handle it. She'll get to the paper. People will see it. They'll want to come to church. They'll want to hear about Jesus. What a wonderful thing to do. I mean, this is, if one of you guys can do that, hey, you're our man or our lady. Come and talk to us about that. That is a wonderful skill, wonderful talent to have in the church. She never got to do it the first time. Not the first time. She signed up for the thing. She started having headaches. I mean headache, headache. I don't mean wake up in the morning headache. I mean headache, knock you down headache. She goes to the doctor. She finds out she's got glioblastoma. Have you all ever heard that cuss word before? Glioblastoma. It is brain cancer. It's an ugly brain cancer, and it kills you just about every time. And in a year, I watched that woman die one of the slowest, most agonizing deaths that I have ever watched anybody die in my life. And when it was over, I was leaning back asking the question, why? Why did this happen? What was the reason for this? Why did this happen to her? Why, why did this happen? Why did this happen now? The question we ask, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or, this, or his parents that he was born blind? And then Jesus is going to give us an answer. And guys, you'll know that I'm honest with you, that I tell you the way I think about some of this stuff. And when I read this answer the first time, it made me mad. I don't like Jesus' answer. I didn't like what he said. The first time I heard it before I dug into it, I don't like the way it sounds. Jesus said it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. What? What? Wait a minute. Really, God, you caused this man to be born blind just so Jesus could heal him and everybody would see how powerful, it is, how powerful he is? Really, that's what you were up to? You mean this man had to suffer through childhood where everybody else's child could see their mama's face, but this child couldn't? That, that this child had to grow up a teenager where y'all all know teenagers don't want to be different. They want to be different, but they don't want to be different. They want to be their own person, but they want to be one of the crowd. They don't want everyone to be pointed out. They don't want anybody to point a finger. They want to be different. They want to be the same. You know how teenagers are. This guy grew up as a teenager different, and there was no way to hide it. He was different, and then he gets to be an adult. And what does he do as an adult? He can't have a career. They didn't have affirmative action. Hire the handicapped. Set him on the side of the road every day and let him beg for money so maybe he could raise enough money that somebody could buy him food so that he could eat. Really, God, this is what you did? You put him, you put him through this torment so that at some point in his life Jesus could walk by and do some magic tricks and everybody go, ooh and ah, aren't you great? That's what I thought when I read that. Really? That's what you did, God? And then I read it. And then I studied it. And now I understand what Jesus was really saying. That's not what he was saying. It's not what he was saying at all. The scriptures say that sometimes bad things happen to people because we live in a fallen world where bad things happen to people. Jesus is saying here nobody sinned. Sometimes bad things happen. Things that are undeserved. Things that we didn't ask for. 
You know, you look at somebody that's been smoking all their life and they get an emphysema and you think, well, what'd you think? They've been drinking all their life, they get cirrhosis of the liver, and you go, well, what were you thinking? Do drugs, get hepatitis? <laughs> Don't come to me asking for sympathy. What were you thinking when this happened? But a lot of things in life aren't that way. They just happen. Jesus is saying here, sometimes bad things just happen to people. But then what he's saying in this statement is, bad things just happen to people, but let me tell you how to look at this. I can help you understand a little. He says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Literally translated, this verse says, we must necessarily, we've got to, do the works of him who sent me. Jesus is saying that, that when stuff just happens, that by necessity, that's the moment that he has to do his best stuff. Now by best, let me help you understand, don't, don't get in theological arguments with me. God's perfect. Everything he does is perfect. I understand that. By best stuff, I mean most visible. The things that we see, the things that are out there, the things that are in front of us, the things that other people can say. We must necessarily do that. He's making a contrast. He's saying, you look at people. We look at people. Tell me we don't. We look at people and we see something bad happen in their life and we ask the question, what, what happened? What caused that? I wonder what's in the background there. I wonder what's going on. Jesus says he looks at the same person and he says, what can we do for him to show him who God is? Jesus is telling his disciples, don't ask what went wrong. Life went wrong. It's just what it is. We live in a fallen world. Sometimes things happen. But now that they've happened, what are we going to do to show the works of God in this guy's life? In all of suffering, there's a common thread. Whether God causes us to suffer uh, for discipline or whether something bad just happens, there's a common thread in all of suffering. God is doing his best to try to draw us closer to him. It's like Jesus is telling the disciples, this man has suffered for a long time. Now what are we going to do to make God very real to this man? And there are some of you in, the, in this congregation who can think right this moment of some time in your life where you have been that suffering person and something happened to make God real to you that has brought you closer to God. And when that happens, that brings glory to Him. So, let's wrap it up. What difference does all this make? The first thing I get from this story is the obvious. Bad things happen to all of us for no apparent reason sometimes. We can sit, we can ponder, we can worry. Sometimes we bring hardship on ourselves, but sometimes it just happens. Don't drive yourself crazy asking why. You know, we want to get into this mindset that everything's got this gigantic, gigantic, ethereal, spiritual reason behind it. Sometimes life happens. Don't drive yourself crazy. What did I do? What did they do? What should I have done? What could I have done? Sometimes life just happens. Move on. When you see somebody suffering, don't concern yourself with all the whys behind it. We're not equipped to know. We're not equipped to know what's going on in everybody's life. We don't know what happens when they close the doors to their house at night. We don't know. Second, when we see someone suffering, especially if it seems to be for no apparent cause, we must realize that it is at this moment that Christ wants to do his best work through us.
By best here, we mean what I said a minute ago. Most visible, most apparent, most notable. To do this, we have to be living Christ to start with. Like Jerry said, I, I, can, I can just say it because it's easy to say now that all things will work to good. But if I don't believe it in my own life, it's best when I sit down with you for me to keep my mouth shut. Don't just spout out religious stuff to people. It makes God look bad when we do that. To show Jesus to those who are hurting, we need to first be the living Jesus ourselves. To have him living through us. Not perfectly. Just giving it the best shot we know how. When we try to practice what we preach and somebody comes by us in pain, we might just be surprised what the Lord will do through us. Because you see, it's when we're suffering that by necessity, Christ does his best work in us. That's our job. We talk about being Christ's hands and feet. Here's Jesus talking about it. When you're around those who are hurting, let him do his best work Father, we thank you again for bringing us here this morning. I pray, Father, as we leave this place, that you help us to live the life that you've called us to live. And that, Lord, this week when we find ourselves in that situation with somebody that's got something going on in their life that is hard, that they're hurting, that they don't know the answer, they don't know what to do, in that moment we can help them see you and maybe Lord even beyond seeing you they could be saved by you help us Father as we go from this place in Jesus name we pray Amen Jesus in order to live Jesus we have to have Jesus in our hearts to start with to have Jesus in our hearts to start with, we have to understand, we have to know who we are, and we know that we are all sinners. <clears throat> we, are all, we all began as sinners, and we stand before a mighty God who has never done anything wrong, and we're wearing filthy rags. But he says, I tell you what, I want to love you, and I want you to be a part of my kingdom. I've sent my son to die for you. He died, he took your sins with him on the cross, took them into the ground and left them there. And then he resurrected to new life. And if you will trust him, he will do that with you. But that's what it takes is for you to trust him. So this morning I ask you, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, if you hear him in your heart, make the decision this morning that you will trust him. Pray and ask him to forgive you. Make a public profession of faith and be baptized. If you want to join the church, you can come forward and do that. Most of all, take the next couple of minutes, guys, and pray. Think about your life and those around you and the difference that you can make there.